to My Favorite Theorem. I'm your host, Kevin Knudsen, Professor of Mathematics at the University of Florida, and this is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City. Um, so how's it going, Kevin? It's okay. Classes are almost over. I have uh, grades for 600 students that I still need to upload. Um, but, you know, it's an Excel nightmare, but after, you know, once I'm done with that, it'll be okay. And then, and then my son comes home yeah. for Christmas I, on Saturday. <laughs> Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, I don't miss grading that, you know, I miss some things about teaching, but not grading. So no, and, and I don't envy this time of the semester. <laughs> certainly not for a 600 student calculus class. But, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I had a good time. It's still fun. Anyway, uh, today we are pleased to uh, welcome Vidit Nanda. Uh, Vidit, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell everyone about you? Hello, uh, my name is Vidit Nanda. I'm uh, research fellow at the University of Oxford and uh, the amazing new Alan Turing Institute uh, in London. Uh, this year, I'm uh, a member at the Institute of Mathematics uh, in the Institute for Advanced Study here in Princeton. Very happy to be here. Thank you both for doing this. Uh, this is a wonderful project and I'm very happy to be a part of it today. Yeah, we're having a good time. Can you tell us a little more about the Alan Turing Institute? So I know I've heard a little bit about it, but haven't I guess I didn't even know it was that new. I thought I had just never heard of it before. Right. So about uh, about uh, three years ago, and maybe longer because you know it takes time to set these things up. The UK decided that they needed a national data science center, um, and what they did was they uh, they collected uh, proposals from universities, um, and the ones uh, who who are now. Um, well, the, the original five universities that, that got together and contributed funds and uh, professors and students to the Turing Institute were Oxford, Cambridge, Warwick, UCL, and Edinburgh. So now they, we have a space on the, on the what they call the first floor of the British Library, uh, and we would call the second floor of the British Library. Right. right. Half of that floor is the Alan Turing Institute, and it's kind of crazy. You enter the British Library, and there's a stack of books that just looks like wallpaper. It's too beautiful. Mm -hmm. you know, but it is real, it's behind glass. And then you turn to the right and there's Las Vegas. I mean, there's a startup looking uh, mm -hmm. data science center with people dressed exactly the way you think they are with the hoodies and the, and the you know, uh, <laughs> it's, it's sort of uh, nuts, but there's, there's two things I should tell everyone about the Alan Turing Institute who's listening. Uh, the first one is that if you walk down a flight of steps, uh, there's a room called the Treasures of the British Library. You turn left, and the first thing you see is um, a table uh, with uh, Da Vinci's sketches uh, right next to Michelangelo's letters with the first printing of Shakespeare. Those are the first three things you see. So if you're ever thinking about cutting a corner in a paper you're writing, you go down to that room, you feel bad about yourself for 10 minutes, and then you <laughs> rush back up the stairs inspired and ready to work hard. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds very wow, cool. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. really great. I'm still waiting. That's on the first table. I mean, there's, yeah. there's other stuff there. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting on my invitation yeah. to visit you, by the way. Uh, it's, it's, it's coming. It, it would help if I'm there. Sure. Okay, so yeah, what, once you're back. You know, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, Vidit, uh, what's your favorite theorem? Uh, well, this will not be a surprise to the two of you since, since you, you cheated and, and you made me tell you this in advance. And this took some time. The, the, my favorite theorem is uh, Bonnach's fixed point theorem, also called the contraction mapping principle. Okay. And, the, and the reason it's my favorite theorem is that it's about, uh, it's about functions that take a space to itself. So, for example, 
you know, a polynomial in a single variable takes real numbers to real numbers. Mm -hmm. You can have functions of two dimensions taking values in two dimensions and so on. And, and, what's, um, and it gives you a criterion for when this function has a fixed point, which is a point that's uh, sent to itself by the function. Mm -hmm. um, this, uh, one of the reasons it's my favorite theorem, well, there's several, but it's the first theorem I ever discovered. And, and, and you know, yeah, for the kids in the audience, if there are any, we used to have calculators. I promise, <laughs> they were things, they looked like your iPhone, but they were much stupider. And That's one true. of the most <laughs> fun things you could do with them is mash the square root button like you were in a video game. This is yeah. what we had for entertainment. Yeah, we I used to do this too. Yeah, and right. Yeah. Large number, you mash the square root button and you hit one. And it worked every time. Right. And this is Banach's fixed point theorem. That's my proof of Banach's fixed point theorem. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, what's the actual statement, though? Just let, let's be less loose. Right. The actual statement uh, requires a little bit more work than having an old beat-up calculator. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, so the setup is kind of simple. You have a complete metric space. And by metric space, you mean uh, a space where you know, points have a well-defined distance subject to natural uh, axioms for what a distance is. And complete means if you have a sequence of points that are getting close to each other, they actually have a limit. I mean, they, they stop somewhere. Uh, if you have a function from such a complete metric space to itself, so that when you apply the function to a pair of points, the images are, um, are closer together strictly than the original points were. So uh, f of x and f of y, the distance between them should be strictly less some constant less than one times the distance between x and y. Mm. If this is true, then the function has a unique fixed point. Mm -hmm. And the amazing part about this theorem that I cannot stress loudly enough is that the way to find this fixed point is you start anywhere you want, take any initial point and keep hitting f. This is mashing the square root button. Mm -hmm. And very quickly, you converge to um, the actual fixed point. And then when you hit the square root button, nothing changes. You know, you, you just stay at one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and it's a unique fixed point. That's even It's a unique fixed point because, um, yeah, wherever else you start, you reach that same place. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm an algebraic topologist by trade, and this is very much not an algebraic topology fixed point theorem, right? No. The algebraic topology fixed point theorem makes sort of no assumptions on the function, like it should be bringing points closer together. It makes assumptions on the space where the function is taking its values. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it says if the space is nice and maybe convex, contractible, there's all sorts of things, then there exists a fixed point, no uniqueness and no recipe for converging to the fixed point. Right. Mm -hmm. In fact, we just, uh, we recently had a guest who chose the Brouwer fixed point theorem. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. so uh, yes, the Brouwer fixed point theorem is one of my favorite I mean, it's, it's one of the tools that I use in my work a lot. Sure. But I always have, you know, this sort of analyst envy where their fixed point theorem comes with a recipe for finding the actual fixed point right. instead of an existence result. Right. We just wave our hands and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, had a, if you didn't have a fixed point, there'd be some map on homology that couldn't exist. And blah, blah, that blah, couldn't blah. exist, right. And that's sort of uh, neat but sort of unsatisfying if what you right. actually care about is the, is the fixed points. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in some ways, I'm, I kind of ended up more of an analyst because of this. Like I was really attracted to algebra and that kind of thing. And then I felt like at some point I just couldn't do anything. Um, I mean, and, and then I felt like analysis, at least 
I could get a bound on something, even if it was a really ugly bound, I could, right. I could at least like come in with my hands and play around in the dirt and eventually come up with something. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and this is probably showing that like somehow my brain is naturally more, uh, more likely to succeed at analysis or something because i know there are people who you know they they get to algebra and they can do things um, but i just felt like at some point it was beautiful and it was like this untouchable thing and analysis wasn't so pretty and i didn't mind going and mucking it up and right. <laughs> yeah so i have the opposite point of view i i never liked analysis you know i just all those epsilons yeah. and deltas and you know and maybe it was a function of you know, that first advanced calculus course where you have to get at the end, the thing you're looking for is less than epsilon, not 14 epsilon plus 3 epsilon squared. It had to be less than epsilon. I'm like, man, come on, this thing's small. Who cares, you know? Um, and so I like, I like the squishiness <laughs> of topology. That's, that, that, I think that's why I went there. With those epsilon arguments, at least, uh, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, I always ended up doing them twice, right? You do it the yeah. first time and you get some hideous function of epsilon and then, ah, oh, then you feed back that's right. whatever you got to the beginning of the argument, dividing yeah. by whatever is necessary. Yeah. And then it looks like, of course, when you, when you submit your solution, it looks like you were a genius the whole time. And you <laughs> to choose this very awkward thing ab initio and, right. and you know, change the argument down. Well, well, that's mathematics, though, right? When you read a paper, it, it's lovely, right? right? You know, you don't you don't see all the ugly, horrifying, right. you know, the, the ream of paper that you used for the calculations to get it right. And, the, uh, you know, I, th I think that's part of our problem as, as mathematicians, sort of from a PR point of view, right? We make it all look so slick and elegant at the end that people go, wait a minute, how did, how, how did you do that? Like, it's magic. And we're, we're very much writing for people next door in our buildings that's as right. opposed to that's uh, right. people on the street. And well, the, that, that yeah. bites, and it helps sometimes, but it also bites us. Right, but this is where Evelyn's so great, right? Because she is writing for people on the street and doing it very well. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I, I didn't intend this to come back around here, but I'll take it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, getting back to our guest. Yeah. Uh, so how, when did you first encounter this theorem, and was it... You know, was it something that you were immediately uh, really into or, or did it take some more time? Right. Um, actually, the first time I encountered this theorem uh, in a semi-formal setting, it just blazed by. This was, I think this is where most people see it uh, for the first time, is a differential equations course. One of the things that's so neat about this theorem is it's what guarantees you take f prime x equals some hideous expression of x. Uh, why should this have a solution? How long should it have a solution for? Why, when is a solution unique? And this requires the hideous thing on the right side to satisfy the contraction mapping property. Mm -hmm. So the existence and uniqueness of, uh, of differential equations, ordinary differential equations, is, uh, is the slickest uh, sort of and most famous application of uh, the Banach fixed point theorem. I never thought and the analyst that. nods while Kevin stares off into space, no, wondering no, why this should be the case. No, you had a better differential equations <laughs> course than I did. Certainly, I mean, in our right. first in our uh, first DFEQs course, we wouldn't we wouldn't bring this up. That, that, that's too high was, power, was, right? Right. It was it was uh, it was sort of mentioned. This was a Georgia Tech. It was mentioned mm -hmm. that this property holds. There was no proof, even though yeah. I think the, the proof is not difficult, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. um, it's not so bad if you understand a Cauchy sequence, True. which not everyone taking differential does, etc. So, uh, so that's right. we were not shown the proof, right. but it was there's a contraction mapping principle, and then mm -hmm. you know we didn't. Wikipedia was very uh, uh, was in its infancy, so now I'm dating myself badly. But but 
Uh, so I, I mean, I did look it up then and kind of forgot about it. And then, of course, in graduate school, I, I saw it all over the place. Yeah. Well, hey, when and, I was in college, and, when I was in college, the internet didn't exist. So you know, right? right. <laughs> How do you get anything done? You went to the library. Yeah. You did you to, use a card catalog? I've, I'm I'm a master of the card catalog. Yeah. 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 Well, we have my elementary school library. Oh, geez. <laughs> no, I, so growing up in high school, we used to go to the, the main public library downtown where they had like bound periodicals. And so if you needed to do your, your report about, you know, say the assassination of John Kennedy, for example, you had to go and like, you know, pull the old Newsweeks off the shelf from 1963. And, uh, you know, I don't know, there's something, there's something to that. There's something to having to actually dig instead of just have it on your phone. But, eh. Right. I don't want to sound like an old curmudgeon either. The internet is great. It's, well, well, it's great. Although, wait a minute. The vote, the net neutrality vote, is happening right now. What's? Yeah. Well, it's great while we speak. We don't know what's going right. to happen in twenty I, minutes. Maybe in this phone. Yeah, in the middle of this conversation, we might get throttled. Yeah. So, um, so uh, you know, part of the fun here is that uh, we ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. What have you chosen to pair the, the, the contraction right. theorem with? I'm, um, I'm certainly not going to suggest Plato like one of uh, the recent guests. I, mm. I, I have something very simple in mind. Mm -hmm. And the reason I have something simple in mind is that there's an inevitability to this theorem, mm -hmm. right? You will find the fixed point. And uh, mm -hmm. so um, I wanted something sort of inevitable and like irresistible in some sense. So, mm -hmm. so I want to pair it with pizza. Okay. That's yeah. my goal. This is the best food, hands yeah. down. Yeah. Right. It is the best food, hands down. And I'm, I'm imagining, you know, the, the sort of uh, heathen's way of eating pizza, right? You eat the edges and move in. I, I, I've seen people do this, and it's sort of very disturbing to me. <laughs> because the edge is how you hold the damn thing in the first place. Yeah. And, and you're kind of... But, but if you imagine a pizza being eaten from the outside, that's how I think of the contraction uh, <laughs> converging to the middle of the, the most delicious part of the pizza. So that's, uh, I, I, I refuse to tell you what fraction of the last two weeks it took me to come up with, <laughs> with this pairing. It's, it's sort of disturbingly difficult. So, so wait, you argue that the middle of the pizza is the most delicious part? Yeah, absolutely. See, oh, my, yeah. see, my dog would really argue with you. She is obsessed with the crust, right? If we ever get a pizza, she's just like sitting there. Oh, can, I, the can I have the crust? Yeah, you know, yeah uh, but the, the reason she gets the crust is because humans don't find it the most <laughs> delicious. <laughs> Look, yeah, I, if, I, if I want to eat bread... I'll, I'll eat bread. But I, I, I make my own pizza, though, so I'm, I'm actually... I make really good pizza crust, so it's, ah. it's, it's worth eating, right? It's not, this, it's, okay. not this, it's not this vehicle, but no, you're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, we're going to press you now. Like, what, what pizza toppings are we talking here? Because we really need specifics. Uh, yeah, it's 9 a.m. where I am, so I, like, can't have pizza now unless I, I made could. my own. And... Look, you can have it at any time. Well, yeah, totally yeah. It would, yeah. But I don't think there's a store open where I, I guess I could get a, a frozen pizza at the grocery mm. store, so... Uh, yeah. well, Kevin would suggest having a quick rise dough set up. That, yes. that does. I should you know, have just should have pour your bottle of yeast in, and it'll be good in twenty minutes. Uh, yeah. Um, I think I think uh, I'm not I'm not big into toppings, but like this, really, uh, it's important to have good toppings, right? So so uh, like maybe buffalo mozzarella, something mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. uh, something like that, mm -hmm. and a bit of basil. 
keep it yeah. simple. Oh, there's okay. going to be tomatoes in it, of sure. course, for sure. pizza sauce. But but not not you know I don't want to overload it with olives and peppers and sausage and stuff like that. Okay, so you're going simple. Yeah, that's that's what we do. We um, we make our own pizza too mm -hmm. a lot and. A couple of years ago, we decided to just for fun buy the fancy canned tomatoes from Italy, the Ooh, San Marzano. The San Marzano's, yeah. yeah. Buy, buy the good mozzarella. And since then, that's like all we do. We used to put a ton of toppings on it all the time. And now it's just, we don't even make a sauce. We just squish the tomatoes onto the pizza mm -hmm. yeah. and then put the cheese on it and some basil. And it's so good. Yeah. See, so I, I like to make. I assume you've both been to the cheese board in Berkeley. No, I haven't. I, I hear oh. about it all the time. Yeah, so it's on Shattuck Ave in in Berkeley, and, and so they have the, the the bakery where they have it's a co-op, and so the the bakery is like you know scones, delicious scones, amazing scones, and bread and coffee and all that. And right next door is a pizza place, and they make they make one kind of pizza for the day, and that's what you're gonna have. And you're going to have it because it's delicious. Every last one of them is like even the ones you're like, eh, it's amazing, right? And the line stretches out the street, you know, it goes down the block, and everybody's in a good mood. And there's a jazz trio. Anyway, so I got the cookbook, and that's that's how I make my my crust. It's a sourdough crust, and then um, and then the my our favorite one out there was the zucchini corn pizza. So it's really it's zucchini and onions and cheese and corn. And then a little feta on top, and then you you sprinkle some cilantro and a squeeze of lime juice. God, I'm so hungry right this now. This is amazing. Yeah, it's it's almost <laughs> lunchtime. My wife and I are going to meet for lunch after this, so you know, can we wrap this up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, you're going to have pizza. No, no, no. We're going to try a new right. we're going to try a new breakfast place. Actually, we're going to have we're okay. going to have breakfast. I'm, I'm, I got huevos rancheros on my mind. So. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Yeah, this, that's well, good too. Yeah. Well, this has been great fun. Yeah. But thanks for joining us. Thank you so much again for having me and for doing this. I'm looking forward to seeing who else you've managed to rope in uh, to oh. describe their favorite <laughs> theorems. There's, there's some, there's some good yeah, ones coming. Yeah, we're enjoying it. Yeah, we're having yeah. a good time. We're having a good time. All right, wonderful. Thank you so much and uh, and have fun. Sure. Yeah. Enjoy nice your breakfast. Yeah. yeah. See you. Yeah. Bye bye. 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 Thanks for listening to my favorite theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chao Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik That's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards. And Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at My Favorite Theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. 